Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. Um, I feel like you are going to leave here and... Each one of you in here, God is going to speak a very special word just for you. I guarantee you within the next 30 minutes that this will be the absolute best sermon that you will have ever heard in the next 30 minutes. (laughs) So within the next 30 minutes, you ain't going to hear anything better than what you're going to get right now. And I am going to give you my absolute best this morning because you guys... I think are the absolute best, and I am so, so glad to serve as your pastor, and you know, a few weeks ago we had the Pastor Appreciation Day, but we should have like Member Appreciation Day, because you guys are just so wonderful, and I I just love getting to know each one of you guys and your families, and um, praying for you guys every day, and know that God is just going to do some wonderful stuff in your life. So, we've been in the book of Galatians, and uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but I'm going to switch it up some this morning, and we're going to just kind of see how it goes, see, see where it molds into. Um, the book of Galatians is a book of struggles. It's a book of struggles um, because it's a church that has been very um, ingrained with a way of doing things. They have a certain theology, they have a certain tradition, they have certain customs that they're used to. This is how we do things, this is how it's been done, this is how my father did it and his fathers and his fathers before him. And so there's a certain pattern and way of life that they're used to. Do you have any patterns that you have in your life that you are just accustomed to, that if someone broke your morning routine, it would just kind of throw your whole day off? I'm, I'm pretty sure that you have your routines and your patterns, but that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus comes onto the scene, and he breaks everybody's routine. He breaks everybody's pattern, and it's a little bit uncomfortable. And he now talks about this freedom that he is bringing in himself, freedom in Christ, no longer a slave to the law, no longer a slave to having to do A, B, C, D, and checklist type of relationship with God. But he's saying, I have paid the price. I've done it all. And he starts talking about words like grace and mercy and sacrifice and love and all of these things that are in him that he's saying, man, I've done it all for you. You just now come and follow me. And so now the Galatian church is finding itself in a battle and it's finding itself in a struggle because it's so used to doing things one way that the world has been flipped upside down, and now the question has been posed to them, well, now what? How shall we then live? How do we live? You're saying that there's this freedom in Christ. What does it look like? What does freedom in Christ look like? And see, the thing is, I think many of us are asking ourselves still that same question today. What does it mean to live free in Christ? What does it mean to really look like to be a Christian? And if I asked, what is a Christian to you? I'd get a hundred different answers. Everyone else would have an opinion of exactly what it is that being a follower of Christ looks like. Um, But today we're going to kind of take a look at what Jesus says being a follower of Christ looks like. And so he's, remember, we're talking about a story in a book 
uh, in, in the book of Galatians to a church that's struggling with this very question. And see, in chapter 1, they're struggling with tradition, man's ways versus God's ways. In chapter 2, there's a struggle of man versus man where Paul has to uh, encounter Peter, and there's kind of a battle that's going on within the church. And then also in the same chapter, there's a battle going on within Peter himself because Peter has to face his own hypocrisy. And so then in chapter 3, there's a battle of being faith versus works. In chapter 4, there's a battle going on between brother versus brother where uh, he begins to tell a story of Abraham, and Abraham had two sons, and one son went one way, and the other son went another way, and one was the son of promise, and one was the son made out of the flesh and trying to do it on his own, and it ultimately turns out to be these two nations that even still to this day are battling against each other. And then in chapter 5, it is a battle of living by the spirit versus living by the flesh. And so the question is, have we ever faced any of these battles? Have we ever tried to do things our own way? Have we ever tried to live by works and not by faith? Have you ever had problems in your family? Have you ever had to try to live and just try and go by the flesh instead of by the spirit and, and by what God is telling you to, to live by. See, we are still struggling with the same thing that this church is struggling 2,000 years ago. And the question is this, how? How shall we then live? What does life in Christ look like? What does it mean to truly be alive? See, you could be breathing air and not really be living. You could walk and talk and go to work and get married and have kids and never really experience life, this life that Jesus talks about, this life and life more abundantly. So what does it mean? In the book of Luke, chapter 10, Jesus begins to tell this story. And he says that there was a certain man, and a certain man was on a journey. He was on this journey, and in the midst of his journey, he fell among a group of thieves. And this group of thieves robbed him. They beat him down. They took his wallet. They, they, they left him on the side of the road for dead. And so he's laying there, he's on the side of the road, he's beaten, he's bruised, he's hurting, he can't even move, and he's just needing some help. He's sitting there in need of help, when all of a sudden, by chance, it says a priest began to pass him by. And so he's there, and he's looking, and he just can look up, and he sees the priest begin to pass by. And if anyone's going to help me, man, it's going to be this priest. It's going to be the pastor. The pastor is going to help. But what happens is the pastor sees the man, and he's been broken and hurt, but the pastor passes along the other side of the road, and he still lays there broken and hurt and in pain. And so he's laying there, and then all of a sudden, a little while later, it says that a Levite came by. Now, a Levite would be a worship leader. So, hey, the pastor didn't help me, but, hey, we know how pastors are. But surely the worship leader will help me. Surely Kyle is going to come to my rescue. Surely Chris, because they are so much more loving than the pastor. The pastor, eh, you know, he passes us by. It's kind of expected. But the worship leader, I mean, they're all emotional guys. You know how these musicians are. If anyone's going to help me. 
these guys are going to help me. So he's laying there. But what does it say? It says that the Levite just passed him by on the other side of the road. And he's laying there, and he's hurt, and he's broken. And it says one more man came by. And this man was a Samaritan man. So Now, this man was an uneducated man. This is a man that if anybody was a, quote, sinner, it was this guy. This guy is surely, I'm beaten, I'm broken. If anybody's going to, it's not going to be this guy. He's going to simply pass me by. As a matter of fact, I'm laying there and I'm hurt and I'm broken. And I'm even a little bit more fearful of this guy. You know why? Because he kind of looks like the guy who robbed me. He kind of looks like the very one that put me in the place in which I am now. And I'm laying there, and I'm hurting, and I look up. But then the Bible says this. The Bible says the Samaritan stopped. He got off of his form of transportation, his donkey, I'm assuming, or horse or whatever he was on. And he picks up the man, and he begins to heal his wounds. He puts oil on the man. He gives him wine. He's helping fix him. And then he puts him on his horse. He puts him on his donkey and walks beside him and takes him to the inn. He takes him to the inn. He lays him down. He, he continues to help and treat this man's wound. Remember, this is the man. If anyone's not going to help me, it's going to be this guy. But this guy is helping this man that's broken. And then if that wasn't enough, he goes to the innkeeper and he tells the innkeeper this. He says, uh, whatever else this guy needs, put it on my tab. In other words, this, if, if, if he needs something out of the minibar, if he wants to order room service, if he, if he needs another maid to come and help him, whatever it is, put it on my tab, and whenever I come back through, I will take care of it. And he leaves, and he goes about his way. Jesus tells this story about this man that's hurting and broken and passed by by the pastor, passed by by the worship leader, but stopped in by the Samaritan And at the end of this story, he looks at the people that he's talking to, and he says this, um, and who was this brother's neighbor? And to which the people or the man that he was talking to responded, well, the one who had mercy. The one who had mercy. Now, this is important. It's important because of the way that the story begins. The way that the story begins is, again, there was a certain man, a no-name man. See, usually within Jesus' stories or other people's stories in the Bible, we have certain names. We have Peter and John and Paul and all these men. But in these stories, there's always a certain man. See, that certain man, that man broken on the side of the road could be me could be you, could be any one of us, could be your brother, could be your mother. A certain man was laying there hurting. And then the story also begins with a certain lawyer. See, we're not told his name, but we're told his occupation. A certain lawyer stands up and he begins to question Jesus. And so the first thing is we're told his occupation for what reason? Well, what kind of lawyer is he? Is he a defense lawyer? Is he a prosecutor? What kind of lawyer is he? Well, uh, from the next series of questions that he asks, I'm kind of deducting that he is a prosecutor because he begins to ask Jesus a question and he begins to ask him a question that he doesn't want to know the answer to, but he's asking him a question that's leading to another question. And the question is this. What must I do to inherit 
eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, being the man that he is, knows exactly what kind of guy this is and brilliantly turns the question into another question and says this, well, what do the scriptures say of this? What is your reading of the scriptures? And to which the man responded, again, he's asked the question that he already knows the answer to, and he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And to which Jesus responds, perfect. You hit the nail on the head, correct answer, right-o, high five. But then, this is what happens. Then the certain lawyer says this, well then who is my neighbor? Seeking to justify himself, he says to Jesus, well who is my neighbor? We'll get right back to that. Uh, The original question is, how then shall we live? How should we have life in Jesus Christ? This man begins the story with this question to Jesus, how is it that I may inherit eternal life? Now, the word here, life, is translated, or in the, in the original uh, Greek, is zoe. This word zoe is used time and time again in the New Testament, this word life. When we think of eternal life, too, in this context, we often think of eternal life as this life that is to come. That this life that is in heaven, or that we are somehow moving towards, and we will reach one day eternal life. But here in this context, and all throughout uh, the New Testament, Jesus speaks of life in this type of terms that it is there and it is out there, but yet it is here and it is among us and it is now. So there is a life that is ever-present right now in Jesus Christ, and yet there is still a life that we are moving towards. It is here and it is among us and is now, and you can experience life in this life and yet life to come. In other words, this, you are saved, you are on your way to heaven, and yet you are being saved. You are holy in God's eyes, you are made righteous, and yet you are still being made holy. You are still being made righteous. In other words, it's a process. You could live it out now and walk in it now, so it's not some kind of pie in the sky that one day you'll obtain and eventually have the life that you've always dreamed of. No, it's a life that you could experience right now and yet still be moving towards. So it's present and yet it's future. It's this movement. It's this life. It's breath. It's here. It's now. It's ever continuing and yet it's still moving. What is eternal life? He's asking this question that we all are asking. What is eternal life? How can I have this life that you are speaking of? This is the question that is on all of our hearts. How do we experience life in Jesus Christ? What does life look like? And to the answer of that question, it's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. That's it. I know no big fireworks or whatever and we're all like that's it what does it mean to be a christian love god love your neighbor that's it love god love your neighbor and he begins to tell this story about exactly who your neighbor is 
And he tells the story, and he used three different characters. One, a priest. One, a Levite. One, a Samaritan. And he tells the story. And see, on the outside, it looks like if anything, if anyone is going to help me, it's going to be the pastor. It's going to be the worship leader. But who ends up helping him? And at the end of the story, who is the one that is the neighbor? The Samaritan. What is Jesus saying here? I've got a quote that I'd like you to put on the screen now. Better that you look like a thief in the eyes of the world and a saint in the eyes of God than look like a saint in the eyes of the world and a thief in the eyes of God. Leave that on the screen too. I want you to think about that because that is what Jesus is saying in this story. Jesus is saying, I would rather you look like the sinner on the outside then look like on the outside, you're the pastor, you're the worship leader, you got it all together, you know what's going on. I would rather you look like to the world like you're just uneducated, have no idea what you're doing, and yet show mercy on your brother than have all of their credentials, all of the right things, all of the right words to say, and yet pass him by. Think about that for a minute, because that is huge. That will change everything about your life. How often do we get caught up in just trying to look the part? To just try to look like a good Christian? And Jesus is saying this, you can't just look like it. You have to just do it. I don't care what you look like. Give me the Samaritan any day. Any day. Because he is the one who knows what mercy looks like. See, we want to know what life is really like in Christ. Life in Christ looks like the Samaritan. Life in Christ looks like to the world, you might be just, I don't know about that guy. But here's the thing, he stopped. See, you can know all of the right things, you can say all of the right prayers, you can read day in and day out, but if you don't stop, you're not experiencing life. See, the pastor just passed by. The worship leader just passed by. Here's one guarantee in life. If you want to experience life, you'll never experience it if you just pass by. You've got to take the time to stop. There's a lot of broken and hurting hurting humanity out there. There are people that are laying on the side of the road right now, spiritually, broken and hurting, and in pain, and they're crying out, and they need someone to just stop. And it doesn't matter what you look like. Just stop. This is what life is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is the one who was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. See, here's the thing. It's a sad, sad day. When we see more mercy in the eyes of the world than we see in the eyes of the church. Here in this story, this is such a convicting story. (laughs) There's more mercy in the one that looks like the very ones who robbed him than the one that should have stopped. And odds are, there's people in this room that have been hurt and they're broken and the pastor has passed them by. And the worship leader has passed them by. But I guarantee you, God is sending someone to stop along your path. This is what true Christianity looks like. This is what being a true follower of Christ looks like. Just love. See, God is love. God is life. I am the way, 
the truth, the life. God is love. God is love. God is life. You can't experience life without him. You can experience, you can't experience love without him. God is love. God is life. There's this overwhelming just sense of mercy in the life of a Christian, or there should be. But what happens is we become like this lawyer, this lawyer who tries to kind of trick things up, and he says this, well, who is my neighbor? Remember, he asks, who is my neighbor? Because he's trying to justify himself. How often do we try to justify our own actions? How often do we try to justify our own actions? When we add that little but, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. The end, period. But then we want to add to it. But you also have to. And see, what's happened is because all of these buts, all of these things that we've tried to add to what Christ has already fulfilled for us, we've put ourselves now back under the law. We've put ourselves back into a life of slavery, to a life that says, I have to love God, love my neighbor, but I also have to do this, this, and this. And so now Christians have become known not by what they do, but by what they don't do. See, a Christian is known by, hey, you don't do drugs, or you don't cheat on your wife, or you don't lie, or you don't steal, so hey, he must be a Christian. And that is not the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ is love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of that other stuff is an outworking of love. All of those other things are a byproduct and not a prime product. Because here's the fact. You are not good enough. That is the message. That is the good news. And I hate, I, I, I don't know how to put this in any other terms, and please, I'm not trying to be crude, but the message is you suck. <laughs> That's words that we can understand. You suck. You can't do it. You need help, and that help is Jesus Christ. Amen. And again, I'm not trying to be whatever, but that is good news to me. Because I'd spend a few minutes in the mirror, and it ain't long before I realize I need some help. And so Jesus says, come in, and this is what freedom in Christ looks like. Just love God. Just, just love him. Wake up in the morning, and you don't have to strive to be a Christian. Stop striving to do these things. Stop trying so hard to be good because you're not good enough. Stop trying so hard. Just be. I love my daughter. She just is. God loves us. We're his children. You just are. He just loves you. Just be. Just love him back. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's never. And, and here's the thing, though. Sometimes we look for this life and we look through it in, in, in outward, we, outward things. We look, hey, if I, maybe this sermon today or maybe this, this church service, maybe this person, maybe this pastor, maybe this book, maybe this CD. No, Jesus. These things that I'm talking about right now, it can't be just experienced through me. You have to experience it yourself. You have to go out and love. You have to go out and stop. You have to go out and be the one that shows mercy. Because that is what being a follower of Christ is all about. And here's the thing. When you start to do this, it doesn't matter what happens to you anymore. It doesn't matter if you've just had the best day in the world or the worst day in the world. You have love. 
And that's all that matters. And it doesn't matter if I have a million dollars in the bank or if I have negative a million dollars in the bank. You have love. And I just love God. And it's kind of like how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we could walk into this fire, and you know what? We may walk out of it. We may get burned up. But it's okay. Because God is good. And so long we've heard the messages of every time we trust in God, everything's just going to work out all right. Here's the reality. Sometimes you get burned up. Sometimes you walk into the fire and you get burned up. I know these guys made it up, but there's often times in the scripture where Paul was hurt and he was broken and he was left shipwrecked and he was dead. And time after time again, all of these things happened to him. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods. And he says, I do this all for the gospel, for the good news, because I just love God and I love you. And it doesn't matter what you do to me because I'm still going to love you anyway, because that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's that easy. That's it. It's that simple. But you have to stop along the way. Just stop, you know. Let me just give you a little confession for a moment. Let me step into the confession booth and just be the one that says, you know, as a pastor, sometimes I get caught up with, man, I just want the church to grow and I just... Did I make a mistake with doing the two services? Did, did, are we helping the community? Is anyone getting hurt? And, and I get caught up with the numbers, and I get to thinking, man, if we, how come people aren't coming? Why don't people go? And, and I get all of these other things, and then Jesus just has to remind me to just say, you know what, just stop. It's his church. It ain't my church. It's his church. And, and I'm not to preach to the ones that aren't here. I'm preaching to the ones who are here. And God's saying, you know what, just just love me. And some will receive it and some won't. And some will hate you and some will love you and some will kick you when you're down and some will help you up. But that's just the reality of life. Just love them anyway. And here's the thing, you know, sometimes with some, I I try so hard and it, it just seems like good enough is never good enough. But that's okay too. Love them anyway. So I've just kind of made that, I gotta say like the last probably a couple weeks of my life have been amazing because it's just like such a pressure has been lifted off of me. Someone's talking bad. I don't care. I love them. Bless them. Keep on going. You just, it, it just feels so good to live this kind of life, to just love God and love your neighbor. And everything else comes out of that. I'm going to ask Chris to come up. In a second here, we're going to uh, take communion. And when we do, I want us to ask, our que- ask ourselves these questions that is asked here in the book of Galatians. And the questions are these. Are we living this life in Christ that we should live? Or have we seeked other means like this church? See, this church has seeked other means in trying to add to the gospel. Do we care more about what we look like on the outside than what we look like on the inside? Are we ready to look like a thief in the eyes of the world and be a saint in the eyes of God? Think about that for a second. If you'd all close your eyes with me. Lord, in any ways that we have tried to add to this life outside of you. Any type of 
driving. Lord, my prayer is that you would break that off of us right now. Break off that weight on our shoulders that says you have to live with something else other than just loving you, loving your people. Lord, if in any ways we've found ourselves like that lawyer that have just seek to justify ourselves. We have all the right answers, but we've, we've missed the life. We could describe what life looks like, but we can't live it. We've seen the life in others, but we've yet to taste and see. Lord, your word says that there's a river of life and that it flows out of us. That Christ in us, Christ in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Lord, I thank you that there's a deep well inside of each one of us and that you are just ready to bubble up out of it. Lord, for that person in here that just wants to experience that life. Move in their hearts. Break off that struggle. Now, when you're ready, if you want to, what I like is Tim and Kathy are going to come up here by the communion tables. And if you want to just come and grab a piece of bread and dip it in the wine and then head back to your seat and we will all take it together. But we're going to do this in significance of remembering him, but also in a prayer, in a prayer that says this life and life more abundantly, Lord, I want it. So it's open. If you'd like to partake in it, please come up.